time for our second hour roundtable on America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. More talking truth about America. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. My second hour roundtable is one person. So it's not really a roundtable. It's like a straight line. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> second hour straight line. We'll, we'll, we'll put another person around the table. We'll make it work. <laughs> okay. There you go. It's Kirby Anderson. And who, if you're just tuning in, Kirby Anderson has um, hosted Point of View Radio for years. He just uh, is a stellar, well-informed, very, very thoughtful radio host. And I'm honored he will join me on my roundtable. I appreciate having him. Okay. So we always at the top of the second hour. We have a right view roundtable question. And I want to talk about... Um, Secretary, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, who um, declined this year to, uh, I should back up, apparently starting 18 years ago under Secretary of State Madeleine Albright, um, they began having a Ramadan celebration at the State Department, which is Islamic holiday. I think it started this past Friday night. Ramadan started. Mm-hmm. And so they had a uh, a dinner, a big dinner at the State Department to honor the beginning of Ramadan. Um, and so this is, has been a tradition for um, 18 years. Right? I guess that's like 18 years. 18 years. That's and so right. Rex Tillerson... Didn't make a big speech about it, but he declined, our current Secretary of State declined to host the Ramadan event at the State Department, even though since Malin Albright, obviously whoever has held that job under W, um, George W. Bush, and Republicans and Democrats have done it. And so there's a lot of the tisking and anxiety of the American left thinking, you know, this is really insulting. This is a bad time to do this. You shouldn't insult the Muslims. So just starting, was Tillerson not aligned to do this? Is he he starting a fight for no good reason? Or what do you think about that, Kirby? Well, again, obviously they have Christmas celebrations and Easter celebrations. Oops. No, no, they don't have that. (laughs) So let's just think this through for just a minute. All sorts of other holidays uh, let's look at the Jewish. So we have uh, Yom Kippur. Do we have Passover? No, I don't think we have that either. So, you know, it's not like we are celebrating all these different religious events and we're excluding the Muslims. It is just the opposite. We have not been doing any of these other holidays and we do Ramadan. Now, again, if the uh, State Department wants to do it or the Pentagon wants to do it, that's fine. But if you want to ignore it, that's fine, too. And the bottom line is, is as you pointed out, Madeleine Albright, 18 years ago, came up with this idea. And nobody until now has said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, we, we certainly don't want to look like we're trying to snub those people of Muslim background or any major religion, but we sort of feel that the government just sort of stays neutral in all of this. Isn't that what we've always heard that we're supposed to do? So obviously we are going out of our way to say it's not Christmas break, it's winter break. It's not a spring break or Easter break, it's a spring break. And so when we start having, first of all, Ramadan as a celebration, and then Iftar, which is the final breaking of that month-long fast, which happens during the ninth lunar month and is supposed to celebrate uh, the time in which uh, supposedly Gabriel revealed the Quran to Muhammad, I think we can certainly say that there was no reason to do it. There's no reason not to do it. And in light of the fact that no other holidays get much attention, maybe that would be the better way to go. Yeah, no other religious holidays. I did notice very fittingly the State Department apparently has a big Independence Day dinner every year. I like that's like an American holiday. It's July fourth. That's not it's real religious. American. Though. Yeah. It's not. It's not religious <laughs> at all. That seems fitting for the State Department. I would think so. Yeah, and I also noticed that Secretary of State Tillerson, while he was, and I'm not sure where he was in Saudi Arabia or somewhere else, but he actually participated in right. some, in a Ramadan celebration. So he's not saying, "I'm not going to go near that." 
He's saying he just isn't going to host it at the State Department. And it kind of ties into something we were talking about in the first hour with respect to the uh, spread of Islam and the, and the aggressiveness in, when some segments of the Muslim faith, the aggressive and the term we've talked about before in the show is civilization jihad. The notion, very subtly, of changing a culture where you come so that you you move in the culture and then instead of just assimilating, you try to have your culture, your Islamic culture, trump and become primarily respected over that of the people in, in, the, in your host country. There's something wrong about the idea of anyone being upset that the State Department isn't going to have a Ramadan celebration because if it's the only religious holiday the State Department has, it's kind of, it's exactly the opposite message that you want to be sending. Either we have, you know, no holidays or all holidays, but we certainly don't particularly honor an Islamic holiday because maybe otherwise you may have some portions of the Muslim world offended. This is, we want to send the message, we are not going to, kowtow or bow to uh, Islam, what, the segments of Islam that are very aggressive and demanding their religion be um, be honored, really above all others. Well, and again, it seems to me that what we need to recognize is that that civilization jihad is happening around Sharia law. I think many of our listeners probably heard of the man who's suing a Little Caesar's Pizza, $100 million because they served him oh. a pizza that accidentally had pepperoni on it. Well, let's hope the suit goes nowhere, but it's just a good example, again, of trying through the culture to bring about some kind of transformation. It sure is. You know, we can, I, we may talk about this a little more, but we're going to head off to break in a very short segment. Um, and I want to talk just a little bit about the Islamic violence we've seen around the world just in recent days and what that should mean in terms of America defending itself. So I'm Debbie Georgettis, America Can We Talk, here with Kirby Anderson. Don't go away. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. 
program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. The National Center for Policy Analysis brings together the best and brightest minds to tackle the country's most difficult public policy problems in healthcare, taxes, retirement, education, energy, and now national security. The NCPA works to develop and promote private free market alternatives to government regulation and control, solving problems by relying on the strength of competition in the private sector. As America's think tank, the NCPA wants to make sure you have access to simple, clear solutions to the issues that matter to you. Come get to know the NCPA at one of their events and join the conversation by following them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. To get policy solutions delivered straight to your inbox, sign up for the NCPA free email newsletter or subscribe to one of their policy blogs. To get involved with America's Think Tank, go online today to ncpa.org. The NCPA would love your support and you'll love being part of the solutions to America's challenges. So go to ncpa.org. That's ncpa.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I have my right view roundtable consisting of Kirby Anderson. So happy he's here with me tonight. And, you know, I want to be sure I know that the uh, President Trump's trip to the Middle East has generated so much publicity. Um, I want to hit on just a couple of things that came out of that um, trip that I, that I think are, are worthwhile. I mean, first, President Trump is attempting to, you know, rally the uh, Islamic majority countries, just saying, you know, it's just— not enough to have you tisk and say, oh, gee, that was terrible. Um, after these terror attacks, he, he's trying to call them out and say, you need to get on board and be part of the solution, part of um, actually um, stopping this. And there was actually James Woolsey, who is a former, uh, he was a former head of the FBI or CIA, CIA, CIA. CIA. yeah, um, had a, he loved Trump's speech in Saudi Arabia. He wrote an article called Trump's Bracing Clarity on Terrorism. And, you know, he talked about things like Trump being over in Saudi Arabia and actually saying, uh, after he was done speaking, having Saudi Arabia's king, Salman, call the meeting a turning point. Mm -hmm. 
actually called the turning point. And this is in the backdrop of the left thinking that, you know, Trump can't handle, you know, using deciding which fork to use because he just is so bumbly. And the truth is, there was also by the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, he referred to Trump's trip as the reassertion of American leadership in the Middle East. Egyptian President um, al-Sisi, about Trump's impact, said he is capable of doing the impossible. So he's getting some good kudos. Yeah. You want Well, again, you know, why did I like the speech? Let me count the ways. First of all, you know, here is an individual speaking to more than 50 Muslim leaders. He uses the words terror or terrorism 30 times. Number two, he puts together what is called a global center for combating extremist ideology, which is back to the conversation you and I had just a minute ago from Andrew McCarthy about Sharia supremacism. Uh, We have the fact that uh, he said that more than 95 percent of the victims of terrorism are themselves Muslim. You and I have talked about this on this program before, that the greatest threat to a Muslim in the world today is another Muslim. He put Hamas and Hezbollah in the same category as ISIS and al-Qaeda. Tell me when you've ever heard that from a president. God bless him for doing that. And, of course, then we can talk about the fact that he called for them to do the work. He wanted them to drive the terrorists and extremists out of the places of worship out of their communities and out of their land. He even set up a way in which we could strip the uh, financial channels that fund terrorism. What's not to like about that particular speech? That's just in one speech, by the way. It was was his very lengthy. In fact, I think there's a link up to it on our Facebook page, but I have a couple clips from it. In fact, I think it's one you were just saying. I'm going to go ahead. You can just, whatever, I can't remember what it was, but clip one, if you can hit that, Greg. This is not a battle between different faiths, different sects, or different civilizations. This is a battle between barbaric criminals who seek to obliterate human life and decent people, all in the name of religion. People that want to protect life and want to protect their religion. This is a battle between good and evil. Okay. I love that he is willing to speak in those stark terms. It is amazing to me. Calling it, Find me another president that's talked that way. Find me another secretary of state that has talked in that kind of, those kind of terms, at least in the re- near term here. Oh, didn't Obama do that? Oh, wait. No. <laughs> I mean, I seriously. So. I missed that part. so refreshing. How about Iran? You know, again, we tried to develop relationships with Iran. Instead, he says Iran gives safe harbor and financial backing to these individuals. And he went on to say that Iran funds, arms, trains, terrorists, militias, and other extremist groups that spread destruction and chaos across the region. Again, you have never heard that from the previous president. You have, and it really goes to this whole question of how you are supposed to deal with terrorists in the world. In fact, it kind of goes back to that quote from the start of the show, yes. uh, which you know just essentially said, "If you're, uh, I, can't, I don't have my hands on it right now, but you know, John Stuart Mill, but he basically said, you know, if you're one of those who will never stand up and fight, you know, then you're destined to be." Um, to be weak, a ter- terrible paraphrasing. Don't tell my paraphrase his mm-hmm. uh, quote. But I mean, the real the strength of a president in America calling evil evil, saying it's good and evil, saying that Iran is what it is, which is a terror exporting country. Contrast that with President uh, Obama, who spent a lot of his time in his second term as presidency, or yeah, second term as presidency, negotiating with Iran and essentially sending them billions of dollars and emboldening them in their ongoing fight as terrorists. So th- this is a, th- this is a total 180. 
I think certainly it is. And again, I appreciate the fact that he really wanted to establish the Center for Combating Extremist Ideology because, Debbie, one of the things I've said before is certainly some of this battle is military. Some of it is uh, counterinsurgent. But a fair amount of it is ideological. It's spiritual. It's uh, dealing with these kinds of issues. It is trying to find some of the moderate Muslims out there, of which there are quite a number, even in some positions of leadership in some parts of the Muslim world, uh, to really begin to rein back and to speak out against that. And even in his speech, talked about the fact that you need to have the responsibility to tell the uh, these radicals that they're not going to gain favor with their God or they're not going to achieve some kind of salvation for these kinds of things. And it brings us back to, again, with somebody we've quoted quite a bit this evening, and that is Andrew McCarthy. We have, I think, done a disservice to the battle against radical Islam by saying that it's not about Islam, because it is about Islam. And when we say, well, we're just trying to vet these individuals, but it's not a religious test. Well, not in one sense, but in another sense it is, because indeed, if you have certain ideas in your head and your heart that are going to cause you to go out and be the next suicide bomber, go to the next Ariana Grande concert and kill people, we don't want you in this country. We don't want you in the UK. We don't want you in Belgium. We don't want you in France. Really, we don't want you on the planet. But if nothing else, we want to make sure that you're going to put this very virulent and dangerous ideology, keep it back where it started and not bring it to our countries. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting uh, on the subject of saying that enemy is not all Muslims and it really is not. However, there are teachings, writings in the Quran and in other sacred Islamic texts which seem to justify the conduct of the jihadists. They are not the jihadists are not pulling out of thin air the idea that we're going to commit violence on behalf of Islam, you can find, and I've quoted in the show many times, dozens of passages attributed to Muhammad in the Quran, dozens of writings in the post-Quranic time, the other scholarly writings that justify violence against people, that justify jihad, that justify treating the rest of the world, you're going to kill or convert, that justify pursuing a caliphate, a one Islamic government. It is there in the teachings of Islam. The question is, are you among the people in Islam who say, okay, I know those ancient things say that, but we don't do that anymore? Or are you among those who think that's what your daily job is? And in the mosques, are you in the mosques? Did you come from the mosques, as we've quoted in the show many times, mosques throughout Europe and, and the Middle East, that definitely teach all of this conduct? And, you know, this is a weird analogy, but, you know, the Bible has in the Old Testament, you know, that eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Okay, I don't know any um, synagogue in the world— that engages in that. It was a Jewish teaching, and you know it's, it's it's part of the ultimately the whole Bible. But no one does that. And so, if you were to have a Jewish congregation or a person engage in that, you know, the rest of Judaism would say, "Wait, we don't you don't do that. What's what you want to do? You want to say, I don't. You know, we recognize some of your writings say that we want to separate the people who want to live in modern civilization." from those who think they can engage in this barbaric behavior. And, you know, the, I love the expression Andrew McCarthy, and in fact, Frank Gaffney in the show many times uses Sharia supremacism. It is the thought that because what you learned in Islam is absolute, you think you can force that on everybody. 
One of the things that we're going to be doing in my program, which is Tuesday, is having Ken Timmerman on here, who's another person to quote. And he's been pointing out all the things that have been said under the Trump administration, primarily from General McMaster, which are just counterproductive. Because once you start down the road and say, well, this does not represent true Islamic thought, this does not represent Muslim ideas, then you immediately kind of paint yourself into a corner. And I think he's done a very good job uh, lately. Ken Timmerman, of course, has written a lot on foreign policy, and I've put him right up there with uh, some of the other people that you've interviewed over the past. Uh, remind us that, again, you have to use people within that particular um, religion and now maybe in this uh, particular what we call Center for Combating Extremism See what we can do to tamp down some of this. Otherwise, you're always going to be fighting on the battlefield. And the best way to prevent having to fight them on the battlefield is to fight them intellectually and ideologically in the mosque. Absolutely true. You know, on the subject of uh, President Trump, okay, we're 30 seconds here. Um, Are we really almost out of time here? Okay, fine. Um, I do want to say that there is a—we're going to come back after the break. There's more evidence that what President Trump is saying is actually emboldening other leaders to stand up. I'm going to tell you the story of what Egypt's President al-Sisi had to say about—he was motivated by Trump telling him, go ahead and retaliate when they do this kind of stuff. Don't go away. nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. 
Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Hey there, welcome back to America Can We Talk. So we were talking before the break about uh, President Trump's speech in Saudi Arabia. He had one more clip I wanted to play that he said, because it's just a different tone coming out of America. The nations of the Middle East will have to decide what kind of future they want for themselves, for their country, and frankly, for their families and for their children. A better future is only possible if your nations drive out the terrorists and drive out the extremists. Drive them out. Drive them out of your places of worship. Drive them out of your communities. Drive them out of your holy land. And drive them out of this earth. Okay. I want to say... Whatever you think of Donald Trump, and heaven knows I didn't support him in the primary, but I am so grateful for that tone of strength and certainty. Uh, Kirby Anderson's here in the roundtable today, and he mentioned this just a few minutes ago, but this the whole new message to the Islamic world. And you you hear people questioning whether all these majority countries, Islamic majority countries, do all of them kind of you know, wink, wink, nod, nod, and they're really kind of okay with terrorism? Or do they really hate it too? And so, and, and is it really a tiny segment or is it, who is it who is part of the terrorist network and who is it who hates it as much as we do? This whole tone that President Trump took, it kind of put them on the spot. Say, okay, 
we're here for you, but you got to be tough. We expect you to be on the side of, of fighting the terrorists just like we are. Well, again, you have to support your friends and uh, strike terror in your enemies. We sometimes had the reverse happening in some of the years previous to this time. But again, it's an important point that he points out that there are certain governments, as he, again, quoting from his speech, provide safe harbor, financial backing, and social standing needed for recruitment. And so one of those countries is Iran. And so we are trying to put together a nuclear deal with them when they actually provide safe harbor for those individuals. Well, Iran was not one of those people he was speaking to, but he was speaking to Egypt and Saudi Arabia. Uh, Both of those leaders would find themselves being executed if the Islamic State had their way. Both of those leaders would find themselves executed uh, and perhaps even in public display if al-Qaeda had control. So he's saying it's in your own best interest to deal with these issues, but now we have your back, but we can't do it for you because a lot of this, as I pointed out a minute ago, is intellectual. It's, that's why he talks about get them out of your mosque, get them out of your religious areas, get them out of your places of worship, get them out of your communities, eventually get them out of your land, and you will be safer, and it will also make that region safer for the possibility of a democracy. But you're not going to have that if you have this radicalism festering in your own community. Yep, I did love it. And speaking of someone who took that to heart, apparently, so... You probably realized Egypt had, we talked about, I think it was Palm Sunday, they had a horrible bombing in a Christian church. They had, again, a massacre recently um, in, in, um, in Egypt. And President al-Sisi, actually, the president of Egypt, who did, by the way, he was the one on New Year's Day of 2015, I think it was, gave a speech at a major university, essentially said, listen, you radicals, you know, there's only 1.5 billion of us, whatever the numbers are, we can't kill everyone else in the rest of the world. You radicals are going to have to moderate. We can't do this. So he's already spoken up against the, the extremists. But al-Sisi actually, in response to this most recent attack on people and in, in, Christians in, in Egypt, he had his Egyptian military pilots blow out terrorist hideouts in eastern Libya. And he blew out the front. It's a frontier camp. It shelters terrorists. Not only did he send his military to do that, he videotaped it and he put it out there for them to see this is what we are doing to terrorist training camps. And al-Sisi himself said that Trump's support gave him courage. And he said, I direct my appeal to President Trump. I trust you, your word and your ability to make frightening global terror your primary fighting global terror, your primary task. So this is a little tiny evidence that Trump talking tough makes other people and leaders in the world, in the Islamic world, feel safer in doing the right thing and actually retaliating. I just loved it. Well, again, attacking bases where the attackers had been trained. So it's a very significant strategical strike. And again, you've been to Israel. I know your husband's been to Israel many times. You can remember the raid on Entebbe. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can remember some of these battles. Matter of fact, next week we are coming up to the 50th anniversary of the 1967 Six-Day War. That's right. And uh, that is going to be something I'll be talking about on my program on Thursday. Of course, a lot of us already saw the CBN film last week in our hands. Uh, Just to remind us of what happens when, in the case of Israel, they're willing to fight back against the terrorists You don't see as many terrorist actions against Israel if Egypt begins to be a place where, again, al-Sisi and others say, we're going to attack any training base for terrorists. 
pretty soon the terrorists are going to say, you know what, I think we need to move somewhere else. And that's exactly what needs to happen at the leadership in some of these Muslim countries right now. Totally love that. And I just saw something else that's really different in tone in the in President Trump's administration, which is I recall under President Obama, there was talk about containing ISIS. Yes. It was a containment term. It's like it's good enough if we just kind of, you know, close, get them surrounded. But there was a uh, there was a test was testimony this week in Washington. The uh, director of national intelligence, Dan Coats, testifying um, in Congress. And he taught he actually used the expression. They plan to drive a stake through the heart of ISIS. Right. Just that kind of language. I mean, it's not flamboyant and, and or grotesque. It is just a signal we're going to destroy them. Containment isn't okay. Permitting them to remain in control of some areas and terrorize some people, not okay. I just love the strength of that. I, and again, you can do it militarily, and we've done some of that with bombing. You can do it financially. I mentioned this before, but let's come back to this for just a minute, in which you can strip the terrorists of their access to funding by cutting them off from financial channels. That was one of the other things that uh, President Trump mentioned in his speech. If uh, ISIS or the Islamic State does not have access to some of the funding because we, again, just said, well, what can we do? Oh, well, we can blow up the trucks that are actually bringing them oil. We can uh, cut them off financially. There are some things that we can and should do. This is an administration that seems much more intent on doing that than the previous administration. Absolutely, it does. And it actually remind me of something when you're talking, Kirby. I remember back in the Reagan era where there was talk about we don't, you know, the, the Cold War was a Cold War. I mean, it wasn't a military yeah. conflict. Then we did have containment, detente and things like that, yes. But we also had propaganda. We right. talked a lot about just demeaning the idea of communism. We had we had financial cutoff. We had energy supplies cutoff. We had the kind of whole picture war against right. communism. And that's the same feel about ISIS because it is an ideology like communism is. It's an ideology of, of just you know, whatever you want to call it, Sharia supremacism, Islamic jihadism. It's an ideology that has to be attacked and crushed in every way it can be. And military isn't enough. But cutting off funding, I think the propaganda war is huge. I think if young people around the world can start to hear the message, man, if you even get close to ISIS, America might take you out. Some other, Somebody else might take you out. Yeah, again, and uh, Dr. Sebastian Gorka in his latest book, who now is in the Trump administration, talked about this as well, because the model is a perfect model. And Sebastian Gorka, being from Hungary, although he grew up in Britain, so he's got this beautiful British accent, talks about all the different ways. We had radio-free Europe, and we had various kinds of uh, ways in which we were uh, dealing with ideological communism. There are other ways we were dealing with the financial issue. Eventually, we drove the Soviet Union broke. And that was the idea that uh, actually Ronald Reagan had because he came in and he said to the people in the CIA, we don't want to just contain this. We want to destroy them. What would it take for us to actually bring the Soviet Union to their knees? When they asked that question in the CIA, there was dead silence because they finally said, Nobody's ever asked that question before, but Ronald Reagan asked that question. This is the kind of question right now that it appears that Dan Coats and uh, certainly Mike Pence and, of course, President Donald Trump are asking, and that may be a very different way of fighting this war on terror. 
It's also a really big contrast to, you know, the attack in Manchester, England, again, of course, a, you know, a completely innocent group of people at a concert going to hear music. And uh, what Dan Coates is talking about, the way he wants to fight is a tiny bit different to the re- than the reaction that you had from Katy Perry. Katy Perry. I Katie- was hoping we were going to get to <laughs> Katy Perry well, tonight. We got 30 seconds. I'll talk about what she said. Now, come back from the break. We had a Navy SEAL comeback, best comeback of all time. Katy Perry, the... Uh, isn't she like a military strategist? No, wait. No, she's just a singer, a goofball singer, who said in an interview on Elvis Duran and the Morning Show, she made a plea for people in response to Manchester to coexist and to remove barriers and borders. She talked about how we have to come together and coexist. That's her answer to an Islamic terrorist killing innocent people at a, a concert. And there was a Navy SEAL who gave her exactly the right answer. I'll tell you after the break. On August 2nd, 2006, Debbie Lee was notified that her son, Mark Allen Lee, had been killed, becoming the first Navy SEAL to lose his life in Iraq. She had no choice about the news that was given to her, but she did have a choice how she responded. In response to her son's amazing last letter, she founded America's Mighty Warriors to honor the sacrifices of our troops, the fallen, and their families by providing programs that improve quality of life, resiliency, and recovery. Whether America's Mighty Warriors is hosting retreats for families of the fallen, helping heroes heal who are struggling with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress disorder, providing relaxation at the Heroes Hope Home, stepping in when an injustice is committed, or doing random acts of kindness. As Mark mentioned in his letter, they know the price of freedom and who pays it. Our troops and families of the fallen need your support. Visit americasmightywarriors.org today to learn more. That's americasmightywarriors.org. Hi, this is Debbie George Addis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing 
the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. There is a lot of talk today among media and academia in our culture about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I love doing this show. It is the fastest two hours of my week. And as I say, the funnest. I love doing this show. My only lament is two hours once a week is not nearly enough time to cover everything we need to talk about. And this show is just utterly dedicated to the idea of preserving America, the most important political idea on earth. And you can't preserve it if you don't understand why it's great. All the pieces, all the ingredients that go into the recipe to make America great. And that's what I try to touch on every week. Certainly the military is a big part of it. So Memorial Day weekend uh, upon us is tomorrow's Memorial Day. And I just hope that all of you uh, can find some way to really celebrate it and, and reappreciate our military as I often do also. Um, and I want to take just a moment to thank the sponsor of this show before we kick off our last segment. GC Works is a Dallas-based company. They perform research in advanced technology and deliver innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. They sponsor this show. I couldn't do it without them. I am beyond words grateful for their willingness to support this show. Okay, so before the break, we're talking about Katy Perry's military insights about how to solve the problem with radical um, Islam, which is that we have to coexist and get along and drop borders and barriers. So there were a couple of great responses from the Navy SEALs and Kirby, I think, has them both ready. <laughs> you know, when I went to Georgetown University, I studied under Gene Kirkpatrick, so I thought it would be really important to try to understand foreign policy. But I think Katy Perry's got it figured out at the age <laughs> of 32. And I probably wasted my time because basically she says all we have to do is um, remove barriers and borders and that we as people should learn to coexist. And she even kind of had a group hug with everybody in New York City. You know, should we have a group hug at the end of this? I don't know. Our engineer doesn't look like he wants to have a group hug with us. But (laughs) nevertheless, um, and of course, the Navy SEAL, Carl Higby, the other day was on Fox News. And he said, "Okay, I got an idea. Hold one of your concerts in Syria and see how that one goes. You know, (laughs) so these Navy SEALs have been really strong. Of course, the other Navy SEAL, Robert O'Neill, he's going to be on my program Thursday. He's the one that killed uh, Osama bin Laden. I want him uh, on my show. Go ahead. Oh, we'll see if we can get him on your program as well. 
well. But uh, he was uh, very critical of what happened up there in Montana because you might remember that uh, uh, Giaforti, Greg Giaforti, actually won. But this is after he body slammed uh, Ben Jacobs. And uh, Robert O'Neill said, well, he was just a snowflake anyway, which is a bad response. But these Navy SEALs, they're as tough as nails. Uh, they give no quarter. But whether you think they go overboard with some of their rhetoric, it really, I thought, was a really good comment by Carl Higby. And that is, you know, if you really are convinced that everybody is basically good at heart, if you're really convinced that what we need to do is all get together and we need to kind of get around a campfire, hold hands and sing Kumbaya, well, go do that in Yemen and go do that in Syria. Go do that in uh, some of these other countries, which right now we actually believe that we might need extreme vetting. And you can live in this kind of la-la land because you have a a gated community, you have security, and you actually believe in in the goodness of all human beings. But I'm here to tell you that evil does exist in there in the hearts of some of these people who do intend to kill us. And you have the American military, which keeps Katy Perry safe to be stupid. I mean, really, <laughs> they keep her and everyone here safe to be ignorant about the threats we, we face. Okay, I do want to say, I know he said a lot of great things about Donald Trump's speech in Saudi Arabia, and I, I'm just very, I'm excited to have someone be strong. I did want to mention the media was kind of, um, you know, the, the mainstream media who just goes after everything he says, mocks it anyway to deride, belittle, make him look inept. So, you know, when you think about all the important ideas he stood up for, the idea of demanding of Islamic majority countries around the world, you need to be part of the fight against terrorism. Having his own people say in Washington, in front of Congress, we are going to drive a stake through the heart of ISIS, not we're going to work on trying to contain them. I mean, just the whole thing. And then so I just I'm getting around to the media point just to say at some point, the media pile on on Trump is not just I, I've called it before before Don Trump was calling it sabotage. He stole that word from me. It is sabotage. <laughs> it is sabotage of President Trump, of Mike Pence, of the whole effort to get a serious hold on and an actual fight back and attempt to defeat radical Islam. In fact, there was a feeling under President Obama that ISIS will always be with us, that, you know, we're just going to kind of control them. Like Macron, the new, you know, sissy president of France, you know, his comment after a, during a campaign after an Islamic terror attack was, it's imponderable, but it'll be with us for decades. So he's conceding we can't win this. And I think Americans, that's why they got behind President Trump. So they thought, wow, this is a guy who's going to stand up. He's going to actually say America can defeat these things. So I'm not going to cover all of them. But, you know, the media went out of their way to mock a picture that Trump put his hand on some orb with whoever it was, oh. you know, swatting away. They, you Even know. the conservatives have been making fun on that one, so I understand I mean, that. But yeah. who the heck, you know, yeah. it was had some meaning to them. Yeah. Well, isn't that being, like, intolerant of, uh, cross-culturally <laughs> something or whether there's a problem I there? Yeah. I don't know. All I want to say is the trip was a phenomenal statement by, yeah. by um, President Trump of just saying, America's back, the real America, and we're going to fight you. And I, I just, I, I, I wish to death that we would have more Americans just say, I'm going to turn off CNN, ABC, NBC. I'm going to, or actually I'm going to commit to reading five news sources before I draw my conclusion. Because the, the media would have you think that the entire trip was just one stumble blunder after the next, and it wasn't. You know, if you think about it, we just finished the first quarter, and uh, there has been up until now, Sometimes 1.9% growth. One segment, I think, was 0.9%. This last one, Debbie, was 4%. 
Now, again, the quickest way for Donald Trump to win the battle is to simply get some agenda items pushed forward. So we've got this center dealing with combating terrorism, and if that begins to diminish some of the terrorist threats, that's going to be good. If you pass something that looks like repeal and replace of Obamacare, if you pass a tax reform plan, if you pass a budget, you know, after a while, people are going to forget everything. It's why Ronald Reagan said, I began to notice that they stopped referring (laughs) to this as Reaganomics when the economy was doing so well. This is the same kind of thing. If Donald Trump becomes successful or his administration becomes successful in foreign policy and domestic policy, all these silly skits that are in Saturday Night Live and all this kind of uh, uh, focusing on the trivial in his latest trip are, will be forgotten. But what will be remembered is all of a sudden we have 3% growth and we actually have jobs and an economy that's booming once again. Which is among the reasons that President Trump won this election. I think people in the heartland of America, they actually don't want the Democrat welfare plantation. They actually have that American hardworking spirit. They want jobs to come back. I don't know if he can bring manufacturing jobs back or as many as he thought, but they want the feel of being self-reliant, having an economy working, have jobs available for themselves and their kids. This is kind of the core Trump voter. Okay, before we get off military, my husband texted me one funny thing I'm going to read. So for <laughs> this is General Mattis. Mad Dog Mattis was asked by a mainstream media guy, what keeps you awake at night? Mattis, nothing. I keep other people awake at night. <laughs> That's like, you got to love that. Okay. That reminds me of the old General Patton uh, thing. You know, your duty is not to die for your country. It's to make the other poor slob die for his country, you know? This Amen is to that. And you, you got to love a guy whose name is Mad Dog. You yeah. know, you got to feel a little bit safer when... Indeed, the man who is running the Defense Department's known as Mad Dog. Isn't that pretty amazing? Simply have to love it. And he's humorous like that. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, we still have enough time in this segment. You made allusion to one uh, instance and one thing. I just wanted to talk about a little bit, and I don't know if we see it eye to eye, and that's okay if we don't. But, you know, in Montana, they yeah. only have one House district because they have so few uh, people. So House districts are essentially I'm talking about United States Congressional House seats. Like Texas has, I don't even know how many, a lot, 35 or whatever we have. But Montana has one because of um, population. So Montana lost their uh, elected representative, U.S. congressman, because he was appointed by Trump. Um, isn't it Zinke? Interior Department. The Interior Zinke. Department. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. so then there was an open election. So this is important for two reasons. One is that the DNC, the Democrat National Committee, took a look at Montana, which went for Trump by 20 points, and said, we're not sending you any money. I don't care if you nominated, you know, the man of the year. So they, the Democrats had nominated somebody or other to run, and um, they his last name was Quist. Yeah. And so that's who Democrats had. And, and so there's two points about the story that matter. There's a growing rift between the Democrat base, the whack job left-wing Democrat base, and the DNC in Washington is only slightly radically less radically left. But the DNC looked at Montana and said, I'm not putting any money in this. And, you know, as it turned out, so it's a battle because there was a lot of griping afterwards by Democrat everyday activists saying, you know, you put money in this early. We could have won this. You know, you don't know what would have happened. But, you know, the, they, the DNC recognizes the state won for Trump by 20 points. So there they are. So. Then we had the Republicans came along with a guy named Greg Gianforte, and um, he was doing great. In the early voting, he was doing great. And then the, it was the, day, the night before the election, I think, they had a reporter, Guardian reporter, a Guardian, which is left-wing um, 
British um, publication. Right. Showed up ben in his Jacobs. office. Yeah. yeah, Ben Jacobs sh- showed up at this office and stuck a microphone in his face to ask him about the CBO's scoring in the American Health Care Act, which we'll talk about next week. But anyway, you know, asked him about that. He didn't feel like answering. They got into it. And he, the reporter, claims that he was body slammed by Gianforte, who still won the race. Okay, we only have a couple of minutes here, a minute and a half, actually. But I have to say, for all of the violence, the Democrats let go. They don't care about the let it go at Berkeley and the streets of Ferguson, the streets of Baltimore, at Trump rallies. They have protesters beating up Trump supporters. None of that matters to the Democrats or the media. But one Republican finally slams, apparently, yeah. a, a reporter, and they're up in arms. He should be charged. He should be sent to jail. And I got to say, I mean, we only have a minute left here, but Really, seriously, I mean, uh, you know, I just I'm not advocating that any candidate should push around a reporter, but there's something just so disproportionate about their outrage. Well, and I think it's not only disproportionate, but since we only have a minute left, one of the things that caused a lot of us a smile, which, again, this was a tragic event. But the smile was is if there's any group that's been pushing for early voting, it's been the liberals and it's been the Democrats. They even want to allow people to vote uh, weeks ahead of time. And you've had situations where individuals were able to vote before the first presidential uh, debate took place in North Carolina. And so if it weren't for the fact that so many of the liberals have been pushing for early voting, it's possible that this event with GN40 and uh, Ben Jacobs might have affected the election. But by that time, almost 70 percent of the people had voted. So that was it. So, you know, as it goes wrong, comes right. Like that early voting, you're going to suffer from it. And you only won like 50 point something. It was very, very close and shouldn't have been that close. So. I have to say, I just can't get that upset about this one time, and it's a bad precedent. Okay, we're out of time. I want to urge you to tune in every week to America Can We Talk. Tell your friends we're on Facebook. Facebook Live is fun to listen there. Don't go away. Love, love, love doing this show with you on America Can We Talk. We talk truth about America. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America Can We Talk, truth about America. America.